0: publishingcom That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there.
1: record
0: label, minutes mm. Ooh. welcome to the Black Scholars podcast I am your host Leonard Andre Wilson Jr welcome to episode six featuring Chelsea Griffin you guys will enjoy this interview Chelsea is uh, originally from kentucky she's now living in louisiana and she works for a parish which is a school district uh, that is very peculiar and as you listen to the interview you'll quickly figure out why i describe it as such nevertheless welcome again to the black scholars podcast find us on facebook Black Scholars Podcast, IG, uh, is at the Black Scholars Podcast Twitter. Uh, You can find me at Black Scholar O N L. That's Black Scholar O N L, short for Black Scholar Online. Uh, Also, email us Black Scholar Podcast, the Black Scholar Podcast at gmail.com. I've got a book I am releasing August 1st, which is going to be, drumroll please. Free for you now. If you want a paperback version, uh, you will have to pay for that. But I am going to be giving out digital copies of a ebook called uh, "Becoming an Effective and Effective Black Educator." Becoming an Effective Black Educator. It's ten purpose-driven strategies that I have tested, um, created, learned, borrowed, stealed. And revise as my own. Um, it's really 10 of the things that separate me from the pack. It's 10 of things that make me a great black educator, uh, just an educator in general. And I know that there's some teachers out there that with a few of these tips, a few of these strategies um And remember, they're purpose driven. So you have to be purpose driven yourself. They're really going to take your class. uh, It's going to take your teaching, your career uh, to the next level. And I look forward to you guys reading that again. That's coming out August 1st, free for digital copies, uh, paperback, physical copies. You will need to pay for. I also have the Black Scholars uh, shirts. Uh, they're black and gold. You can check those out at BlackScholarsPublishing.com. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, Edge Entity. Uh, ladies, if you need to uh, work on some hair growth, guys, if you got some patches in your beard, then go to EdgeEntity.com. Code is BlackScholars. If you need me, you can call me. I stay busy making money. You know what is on my mind. All I think about is, honest I stay busy working on me. I stay busy with my business, homie. I already hit her when you left her lonely. She is not the type that likes to take things so. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself to the people who you are? Where do you teach? What grade? What subject? Um,
1: The only thing is I'm not. My principal does not allow us to use the name of our school. That's cool. Okay. Um, Let me go ahead. Yeah. Alrighty. Hi, uh, my name is Chelsea Griffin. I teach in South Louisiana um, in a very small community called Donald I teach fifth grade ELA, and I'm also currently a PhD student, um, and I am studying curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in literacy.
0: Awesome. So... Why curriculum and instruction and not leadership, which is the focus of our show?
1: (laughs) Well, okay, so I actually think that the most important job is to be in the classroom and to be able to make decisions um, that actually support our students directly. I do think administration is extremely important. But when I think about like my my focus and my heart, I really feel like we have to get a concrete curriculum down. I can't just keep going into leadership and pushing a curriculum that does not benefit our students, um, and that is not culturally responsive. And then I also want to just grow instructionally so that I can support my students more. I want to know everything about Sped and how do I support students with dyslexia or support students that have ADHD. Um, and so I just feel like the instruction component is at the core of
0: what it means to be a teacher. Okay, you said you were in South Louisiana, correct?
1: Yes, yes.
0: But you are originally from:
1: I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky.
0: Okay. And how'd you end up in Louisiana?
1: So I did teach for America, God bless. Um, and they placed me in South Louisiana and I actually just decided to stay. So I'm I'm my fourth year at my placement school.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you've been at the same school the entire time?
1: Yes, the entire time.
0: Okay. And what made you want to be an educator, become an educator to begin with?
1: So I actually had no desire to ever be in education. Um, I have my undergrad degree in political science. I was gonna go to law school. I had taken the LSAT, I got in, all that good stuff. My senior year, I had the opportunity to work with a senator. Um, His name is Gerald Neal, he's from Louisville. And his committee was education. And so my um, job as an intern was to go into the schools, read letters from the students, read letters from teachers. And I'll be honest with you, I lived in a bubble. Like, I, I lived in a complete bubble. Louisville is very different than the rest of Kentucky. The best way I can kind of describe it if It's like the New Orleans of Kentucky in a way. Um, It's very progressive. We actually do have a very good school district. Well, it's a mess right now, but that's because our governor. But when I was growing up, our school district was very, um, you know, just it had so much opportunity. I went to one of the top high schools in Kentucky, so I had access to so many extracurriculars. I had access to the best teachers, to AP courses, and so when I interned, and I realized like other schools aren't like this, I was shook. I was like, what do you mean? Like they don't have a full-time staff. I didn't even know what that life was like because all my my teachers had been there for 30 something years. Like that's, I just thought all teachers were like that. Um, and so I just wanted to be more proactive rather than reactive. So how do I support students before they get into the system? Because I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. Um, and so I just thought like, once they're already in the system, I'll be honest with you, I don't really know there's much I can do. Mm
0: -hmm. So I
1: wanted to be proactive with my, with my babies.
0: (laughs) So through Teach for America, and correct me if I'm wrong, the (laughs) commitment is two years, correct?
1: Yes, it is two years.
0: Okay. But you're still there going into your fourth year or fifth year? Yes. My fourth. Going into your fourth year. Yes, I am. Why'd you go beyond the two year commitment?
1: Oh, my babies. I like, I I could write a book. Um, so my students, I, I don't. I really don't know a way to describe them, but they truly have grown me so much as a person. I, I was a total spoiled brat, not gonna lie to you. Like moving to Louisiana, I was like very nervous about the South. I was like, mm, it's the deep South. I, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'd like it. Um, I was a brat. I I was like, everyone has these opportunities. Like everybody can get a degree. And just seeing the things that my students endure on a daily basis, like my school is 99% black, 100% free and reduced lunch. Um, like it's in a town, they didn't have clean water for six months, like it's crazy. And seeing the things my students endure but every single day they still come back hungry to wanna work, to wanna grow themselves, to improve and like how much they love one another as well because they all um, come from the same community. Donaldsonville is very, very small. I, I, I just don't know, I, I don't. I can't leave them.
0: <laughs> so let me ask you this. Do you feel like you have an obligation to be an educator? Do you feel like some type of calling, like something spiritual that kind of pulls you into the classroom at this point?
1: I I have to say both. Um, okay. I, I do feel like it is my obligation as a black woman to support black children because I, I have not seen justice being done to them in education. So I feel like it is my obligation to stay there, to support my students, to give them love, to cheer them on, because I know the world's not going to. But then I also really do feel like this is my calling. Like, I didn't think that I'd ever want to be a teacher. And now I can't imagine doing anything else. Like, it fills my heart with so much joy to see kids succeed, to see them grow, to see them excited to grow. And so I, I think it's a culmination of both.
0: And so you mentioned that you're in the doctorate program, um, instruction and curriculum. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Curriculum and instruction.
0: Curriculum and instruction. Okay. What university are you going to?
1: Louisiana state university.
0: Okay. So is that completely, wait, do you have to actually show up to like classes or is that online or okay? Okay. Yes.
1: Both. So during the school year, um, it's, it gets stressful because I have classes usually two times a week. Um, and I would have to go to campus. So I work in Donaldsonville, that's about an hour away from LSU. So I would literally have to like leave 10 minutes early um, from school to be able to get to class on time. Um, And then I also take online classes as well. So like this semester I'm taking, summer semester I'm taking 12 hours. So two online classes and two actually on campus classes.
0: And you do realize that in grad school, full time is nine credits, right? You said you're doing 12?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'll be so, praying for
1: you. Thank you. I took nine during the school year and 12 during the summer.
0: Okay, I got you. And uh, how far are you in your program?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. So, that's like a triggering question to ask PhD students. I don't know. I'm not in charge of none of that. um No. Really,
0: you you said PhD. Is it PhD or is it EDD? PhD. Oh, nine. yes. Okay.
1: I wanted to make myself a little more marketable. Okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, so PhD. I'm sorry, I just completely lost track of what I was just going to say.
0: Um, we were saying uh, I was asking how how long have you been in the program? Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um. So this is my I've been in a year and a half in the PhD okay. program, and so when I'll be finished, though, nobody knows.
0: Do you at this point you have an advisor a committee to help? Mm-hmm. Have you started yes, I your have. dissertation?
1: No, no. Okay. Um, so I have a chair and I have a committee already, um, put together. I have not started my dissertation. I'm only my first year into my coursework. Okay. So I'll probably finish my coursework hopefully within the next year, year and a half. Okay. And then I'll focus on solely on my writing.
0: Okay. And, um, and tell me, shut up if I get too nosy too, because, no, it's okay. okay. Cause yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Um, so how, how are you paying for your doctorate program? Are you doing financial aid or are you paying out of pocket or what's going on? So I'm
1: super blessed okay. because um, Teach for America actually paid for like a, a good chunk of it. So it paid for your
0: doctorate degree. Mm-hmm. wow yeah
1: Teach for America so the way that it works is that you get an AmeriCorps grant so actually I shouldn't say Teach for America but it's AmeriCorps okay. AmeriCorps gives you grant money every year that you successfully complete um, your service work so like with a Teach for America organization or the Peace Corps or anything like that and so they give you a grant and then you can use that grant basically for any educational cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so up until so in the fall is when I'll start to have to pay but i actually won't even have to pay my parish pays for it which is like the only parish in louisiana that does that
0: and by parish you mean your district Oh, i'm
1: sorry a school district in louisiana we call them um parishes but a school district
0: so your district is playing for paying for your doctorate degree
1: yes
0: wow
1: now i have to say so some interesting dynamics about my district um i'm not going to say the name of the district because i don't want to get in trouble sure sure but the dynamics of my district are that it is very wealthy. Um, the east side is extremely wealthy. The property value is ridiculous. The homes are million dollars. Like kids come to school, BMWs. And then the west side, which is the side I teach on, is completely impoverished. Okay. And it is segregated by a bridge across the Mississippi River. Like when I tell you I've never in my life taught a white child, I've never taught a white child. Um, it is and all the children for the most part on the East side are white and all the children on the West side are black. And so we honestly reap the benefits of having the East side in our parish because that property value allows for our school to, you know, get Chromebooks, iPads, books that we would not be able to get if it was just based off of the West side's um, property value. Is
0: your school one to one
1: I'm sorry.
0: Is your school one-to-one?
1: I, I'm not familiar. You talking about title one?
0: Oh, no. Uh, one-on-one, meaning every student has a piece of technology that they... Oh,
1: yes, yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. one-on-one.
0: Um, so they get to take the devices home?
1: Yes, in, oh, in wow. fifth grade. Oh, so fifth grade. Okay. it's a really cool program um, starting in third grade. So the way that my school is situated is that it's a third through fifth grade school. It is not a regular elementary school because we have a primary school there are only four schools in the entire West side. So um, there's a primary, which is pre-K to second, then elementary, third to fifth, middle, sixth, eighth, and then you know ninth to 12th is high school. And so the program starts in third grade. They get one-to-one iPads. Um, They don't get to take it home because they're just too young and can't keep up with it. But the incentive is that by the time they get to fifth grade, they'll be able to get the Chromebook and to take it home. It's kind of like a rite of passage. And then the parish actually allows them to buy that chromebook for 20 dollars and keep it for the rest of their life
0: nice it won't yeah. last the rest of their life but nice. it
1: won't <laughs> it, it doesn't last in the school year but you right, know right. it's it's a good they actually good get gesture another one yeah. in high school Okay. So they can buy the one from high school and use it for college, which I think is amazing. That
0: makes more sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what was I going to ask you? Wow, your district pays for your doctorate degree. I'm so it jealous of you right now. Does.
1: It does. It's the only parish that does that. Yeah. And I will say the parish I work for is amazing. It has its issues, but every parish does. Um, but it really, really values its teachers. And they want us to continue with our education so that we can, you know, be the best that we can be for our kids. We're one of the highest paying parishes. Like they they truthfully take care of us. I can't I can't
0: complain. So that's a beautiful segue. Let's get into the actual (laughs) discussion on hand. And so um, we were going back and forth about, you know, a potential topic that we can do together. And what we pretty much figured out is that, hey, there are great teachers. Right and maybe not mm-hmm. so great teachers as well too but there are great teachers who are being pushed right into yes. leadership positions into admin roles so let me read this real quick this comes oh. from um Seth Godin's books tribes i don't mm-hmm. know if you okay. know Seth Godin he's like big business yeah, marketing guru's got a bald head he's, he's yeah I, <laughs> I like him a lot he's very intelligent um it's called the peter principle revisited Dr. Lawrence Peter is famous for proposing that in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence. In other words, when you do a great job, you get promoted. And that process repeats itself until finally you end up in a job you can't handle. I'd Mm. like to paraphrase the Peter principle. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Wow. (laughs) So, (laughs) I, I can speak from a personal experience sure. that I've seen my parish try to do that. Okay. Um, we actually had a, so the woman that hired me was a black woman. She, I, 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 I'm not gonna say her name just cause I don't know if she'd want me to, but she's absolutely amazing. And she like, I have no words. Like she's amazing. She turned our school completely around. However, I saw them push her into a higher position And actually kind of lied to her about how she would be able to handle the position. So, like, she wanted to be in charge of the West Side schools. And so that was the reason why she took the job. She was like, I'll take this higher position if that means I can support all of these schools on the West Side. Well, they were like, no, actually, we want you to be in charge of, like, East Side High Schools. And we were all like, but that's not her... Like she taught high school before but that's not her level of expertise like she she was in a elementary school and turned an elementary school around on a specific west side like the culture is 100 different than the east side i saw them do that and i can't make any assumptions as to why they did that but I, i've seen that firsthand so i 100 agree that there's this like keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing and instead of being able to become an expert in your actual field and what you are passionate about they want to push you into higher positions that you just can't either handle you don't understand fully or that you would have to default to someone higher up to like grasp the concepts and i just feel like that's that seems so backwards in education
0: now maybe not in your parish or, or district for the listeners who like what's a parish um oh, it's sorry. a district no it's good it's good They they got it um just had to add a little footnote there just yeah. in case um why do you think Why do you think so many educators are leaving the classroom, like really good educators leaving the classroom and going into admin roles?
1: I mean, one is money? Yeah. Like I we're we're not paid well at all. And I've seen a lot of um, really great teachers that have, you know, when they start a family, they're like, I can't do this. I I can't support my family the way that I want to um, on a teacher's salary. So I definitely think that's an incentive, because if you look at admin pay in most districts, it's like twice as mm-hmm. much as the teachers make. Um, and then if you go into higher positions like assistant superintendent or we have uh, instructional leaders on a district level, they're paid well over six figures. And so if I'm a teacher and someone tells me I'm capable of doing this and I know I can make twice as much money, why wouldn't I go? I mean, I'm like, that, that's, that's a lot of money that right. I can't turn down. Right. And then I think two is that there's a guilt like, I have, I feel like I've been guilted a lot of times. I have had people tell me, like, oh, you need to reach more kids. If you were in an administrative role, you'd be able to reach more kids. You'd be able to reach all these teachers. And they try to make me feel guilty because I actively say, like, that's not what I want to do. I prefer to stay in the classroom. But I'm told, like, yeah, but all you're doing is affecting those kids. And I'm like, first of all, o- only those kids? Like, uh, all like all kids deserve to have an impact, a positive impact on them. But two, when you teach a classroom, the, when you truly have an effective classroom, your students are not just academically growing, but also socially and emotionally, and they bring that back to their community. Definitely. So I feel like there's no greater role than a person can have than to touch just a couple of students truthfully and heavily impacting them so that they can um, grow their peers, grow their family, and grow their community.
0: And I do believe that you can be in the classroom and have an impact like Mm -hmm. outside of just those students, Um, for example. And tell me if you guys have this at your school. Do you guys have like master teachers or learning coaches?
1: Yes, we have mentor teachers. We're a TAP school, so we have mentor teachers. TAP is a teacher um, achievement program that Louisiana put in place. Well, my parish, my district put in place um, to Develop teachers in high poverty schools. Okay. So like my school will never not be a tap school just because the demographics right. the of right. that we teach. Um, but yeah, we have a mentor teacher. And so what a mentor teacher does is they coach other teachers um, but they still have their classroom of their own. And then master teachers are in charge of actual instruction. Uh, so they take care of all instruction. They don't have a classroom. They sub- like bring cluster which is like a, you know, like a professional learning development every week Okay. and then we also have PLC facilitators um, within our own grade level mm-hmm. so like I was I was a fifth grade PLC facilitator and I basically like set the agenda for how we would look at student work what sort of data we would track and things like that
0: definitely and um, I'll be going to my second year as learning coach oh, um, awesome. I actually think I sucked my first year as learning coach Why just do being you think that well, because I got transitioned from uh, teaching rich English
1: okay. to
0: teaching standard English because the other my partner English teacher um her licensure is weird. And so basically they needed me to be standard teacher and I had to teach social studies for like a few months, which uh, is terrible. No. I, I don't <laughs> love social studies. I personally love history. But I do not love teaching it, which is a difference, right? Like it's a huge difference. Yeah. Um. And then our gifted or apex teacher, um, intellectually gifted class, she resigned uh, after about a month and a few weeks, just all, right. all about, out of the blue. And so then I had to. Um. They offered me that position, but in the state of Tennessee, in order to do that, you know, you had to. I had to pay. Um. I had to take the practice exam for our state. And so then, you know, I had to study a bit and then I finally took it and then they trans- transitioned me over into December. So between all of that, trying to balance all of that, it, I just I wasn't a good learning coach. Like, I, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. Um, and so I'm looking forward to next year. But I feel like the fact that I get the opportunity to. Um, and can you still hear hear me clearly? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, Absolutely. I just want to make
1: it's sure. Um <laughs>
0: But um, going into it this year and being able to have my class and everything is, you know, everything's set in stone. I right. feel like I'm going to be a lot more effective and be able to go into other teachers' classrooms, be able to give them um, positive feedback and constructive criticism and just improve the whole school. So I do feel like, yes, you can still be in the classroom and still make a change and an impact across you know, the entire school. Let me take it further than that. And maybe this might be something you might be interested in. I'm also on the testing committee for the state of Tennessee.
1: Yep. Um,
0: are you are you on the testing committee for the yeah, state? Yeah, okay.
1: and I wrote benchmarks. Uh, so like our, oh. well, I'm sure they would know what benchmarks are, but uh, the
0: sure.
1: quarterly tests that our mm-hmm. students would take to determine how they're doing throughout the year. So I helped to create the benchmarks as
0: well. And that's for the entire state of Uh, Louisiana for
1: my parish um,
0: for your district, but
1: also so I actually was a little bit involved in the leap process, um, uh, which is our state test. So somewhat, but mostly like the parish testing. But yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, those opportunities are out there. Do you know who your vendor is for Louisiana? Are you guys a quest star? Uh,
1: No, I want to say. Is it Pearson? Would that be a vendor? I'm not really
0: sure. Yeah, Pearson think. would. They, it might be under, you know, Pearson I'm owns sure. everything, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, there's no telling what they're actually called, but yeah, right. Pearson would be the, I guess, parent company and whatever, you know, testing company is yeah. under the umbrella. We
1: definitely don't use Questar,
0: no. Okay. I do not. Okay, okay. Well, Questar hasn't been um, doing so well in Tennessee, okay. um, but... Nevertheless, um, I'm, I'm working with them. And actually, I'll be headed to Nashville um, uh, next week event. for the testing committee as well, too. So, yeah.
1: the best place on the planet, just so you know.
0: I, I love Nashville. Oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> um, but in that role, I get the opportunity to, I'm on the item review committee. So, I actually get to look over items mm-hmm. for Read Language Arts for grades 7 and 8. Specifically, uh, and also they're going to uh, allow us to do some bias review work as well, oh, awesome. too. So we get to check uh, uh, check for that, you know, on the testing and the potential items that they could use in future testing. So I feel like in that way, and also, um, have you done any like speaking engagements or anything yet? Like,
1: yeah. Okay. Uh, so I I did actually was on um, the BBC, okay, and spoke a lot about so they came after donald trump won the presidency and how that impacted my students um so i did a speaking engagement on that i also started a um education for like an equity for education sort of program where i speak with teachers specifically new teachers and support them in ways to be more culturally responsive in their classroom how do you support the community community how do you advocate for your students so yeah i've done a couple of different um programs speaking engagements and things like that
0: see So, like, there's all different types of ways that you can affect your entire state um, just in those, you know, those small roles. There's definitely an opportunity there. Um, But like you said, a big part of it is money. Why do you think it is like that? Like, administrator, like, do you, let me ask you this. Do you Uh, think that administrators actually impact kids' lives?
1: I... Are you talking generally or in my experience um, both in my experience yes okay. um, I I, I could sing the praises in my administration I can't lie like we don't always agree on things and that's fine but I can tell you my administration like loves our students and beyond just loves them though they advocate for them so hard that I could that there's no way I could say they don't impact them like my principal has to fight daily with our parish about because they want us to do certain things in our curriculum and she's like no they're not there yet like like two years ago 80% of our um, school were non-readers like Mm non-readers and it's a third to fifth grade school we was doing phonics in fifth grade. But that was what our kids needed. But our district wasn't really about that because they didn't see the big picture. They're not out on our schools. So they're like, why would a fifth grader need phonics? And I understand that concern. But my principal was like, no, that's what our kids need to support them in foundationals. We have to be able um, to build those skills, to build the capacity in them. And that's what we're doing. And she may have gotten in trouble about it, but she was like, "That's what we are doing because that's what our kids need." And so, I definitely, on a personal level, like I've been so blessed with an administration that will go to bat for our kids and will do whatever our kids need, not what the district wants us to do. Now, generally speaking,
0: yeah, I don't know, right?
1: Because yeah. I, but I've only been at one school, so it's really difficult for me to speak on, you know, what other administrators are like. But I can go off of my friend stories, a lot of my teacher friends. And I'm not sure if that's the case all the time. And I don't know if that's the administration's fault or the district's fault, because when you're consistently taking principals out of their school, like from this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, or I need to, you know, come into your school and do a walkthrough and I expect to see this and this, I'm not so sure that you can say that it's administration's fault. I think it's a top-down effect.
0: Agreed. A hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Cause definitely like, um, I've even had kids say this year and last year, Oh, that's our principal. Like, and I, and I have a really good relationship with my principal. So I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I have to look from the, yeah, I have to look, I have to look from the kids perspective. They thought one of the, they thought the assistant principals and the, um, our instructional facilitator who is, who is great. They thought they were the actual, like, like, yeah, like that was the principal. I'm like, no, that's, I was like, no, he's, he's the assistant principal. That's not the head principal because they don't see her. And like for her to be fair, they have her do like the dog and pony show. Like you said, right. She's got to go to these meetings. She got to meet with these people. Um, She's very active and she's been very encouraging for me to do stuff at the state level and work with other districts and whatnot and share my expertise. So she does that as well. Um, and she's just very busy and she's just not there all the time. She's not in all of the classrooms. Um, I mean, I've got seventh and eighth graders like that's our principal. Like I, that's the principal. I'm like, yeah, that's,
1: <laughs> that's the principal.
0: Like she'll speak during morning meetings. So I was kind of shocked yeah. that they didn't know. I, I don't know what they thought she did. <laughs> I guess they just thought wow. she just maybe they thought she was the superintendent or something. Who knows? Yeah. Because she comes around every blue moon, which pretty much what the superintendent does. Um, but uh, yeah, that 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 was our situation. So and
1: see, at our school, so uh, um, on the west side, our school is kind of the shining light. It's like the ah, this is what can happen when. You know, you have great teachers and effective coaching and all this stuff. And the other schools aren't necessarily seen as that. And so what our parish likes to do a lot is I really don't know a better way to put this. Um, I guess like low key pimp us out. Not in like a, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, no, I understand. but it's like, I want to share what they have done with you all constantly. Right. And while that is great, I, I love that our kids are being highlighted. I appreciate, you know, that they recognize our hard work. That is not how schools are ran in real life. Right. I like that is not how a normal day would go. And so when you're constantly being thrown out of your routine because it's like, can we send these people into your classroom and these people to your school? And we want to show everybody what TAP can do. And my principal is constantly having to be in these meetings to, like, show us off. How do you expect her to get a job done?
0: And it sounds like your principal effectively, because what would you say the primary role of a principal is? Would you say it's to support their teachers, their educators?
1: Um, I think that it's beyond support. I think it's advocating for us. Hmm. I think it is giving us a voice. I think that it is speaking up for the staff um, when you know something is incorrect or when you know that they need something more. I think that's really the biggest role. I think that she advocates for us so that we can advocate for our kids.
0: I like that. I like that. So do you think that there will ever ever be um, this gap, this disparity between... Uh, admin pay and teacher pay will that ever be you know minimized or no 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 i
1: i I don't think because i think one of the biggest things is people get in their head that oh teachers only work nine
0: months out of the year (laughs) a lie that, right right we all know
1: blatant this. lie. false <laughs> right. not true right And, but, and every black know,
0: educator listened to this just laughed. yes. I,
1: like you know <laughs> we only work nine months out the year, so why should we pay them more? I've heard that from like superintendents of school districts say that. And so I think that there's this like assumption because I know principals, most admin are at least 10 month employees, but like um, principals are, you know, all, all year round. And right. so it's like they should get paid for this. Like they're there every day. And I'm like, no, that, twice that's twice as that much
0: works. for, extra, <laughs> you know, even if the nine month thing were true, which it's very, very false. Right? right. But even if it were true, then they deserve to get paid two times as much or sometimes more but
1: but i also think look this is about to be a uh i'm about to just go on a limb here sure i believe that race and gender have something to do with it because when you look at administration no matter what your school demographics are so like for example at my school um are a staff that is like 80 black which is very new because i pushed hard for that, like my first year was majority white teachers and I was looking around and was like, nah. Um, and so I pushed really hard for that. And my principal had my back and she understood why it was that our students need people that looked like them, all that. Um, but when you look at leadership, it does not reflect the staff. Mm. And our leader, like our administrators are white and they're great people, but they are white women that are running a school that is 99 percent black. And then you look at higher up than that, when you look at superintendent, well, even ILPs, instructional coaches, when you look at superintendents, they're typically white males, which is strange to me because there's not even a lot of males in actual education. So I truly believe that there is this kind of idea, like to keep people in their place because the majority of teachers are women. And I think that there's this notion that, like, most girls go into education in college so that they can marry an engineer and, <laughs> you know, have summers off with their kids and teach at a private school. Wow. I think that that's kind of the idea. And so it's like, why should we pay them? They're going to have a husband to go to home to anyways. I don't think that there is this respect for what teachers do. I think you can respect administrate. Administrators more because they work all year long, and they're in important meetings. In quotes, Lord, and they're meeting with stakeholders. I think that people are more willing to give them more as a result of that.
0: And I and I can't remember where I've heard this before, um, because I read too much, too much. (laughs) You know, just like yourself, you read too much. Yes. But I've heard this statement before that. The size of your paycheck, the size of your income, is based on the problems that you solved, right? the 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 intensity or the level of the problems (laughs) that you actually solve. And I can't think an education of a better, more important problem solver than educators in the classroom. Are the problems they solve in admin bigger than what we solve? It's
1: not immediate. So oh. I think that in an administration, they can make more immediate changes. Right. I think that you see it more on a structural level. So, for example, like at my school, like I was telling you, when I first started, 70 percent of our staff was white. And when my principal and I like had a meeting and I you know, I sat down, I gave her literature. She's a very like, research based person and she was listening to my experiences and she was like, you know what, we, we do need to start hiring more people that look like our students. It was seen as wow, good job to the administrator for doing that. They didn't see the background work that black educators did to be able to move, to go up to that. So I think that it's just like this immediate gratification where it's like, oh, she can change the staff perception or she can change the demographics of the staff quickly. But the problems that we solve are not immediate gratification. Like when I think about teaching a child, You know how to read or to support them in drawing conclusions i might not even see them do that this year right it might be you know a culmination of things and finally it clicks for them when they're in high school right but nobody sees the background work that educators like classroom teachers do to support our students like i i had kids on crisis plans at the beginning of the year that were able to get off of it but people outside of education, one, don't even understand what that means. Like right. kids that literally were trying to harm themselves or others, and we created coping mechanisms for them to not do that. Like think about how big of a problem solver that is. Saving because lives, literally. Gonna go, right. They're not going to go on these streets and act a fool. Like they they know that that's not appropriate anymore. That, think about how that's going to save their lives, somebody else's lives, how that's going to keep them out of jail. But people don't – I don't think people think about that. It's not a conscious – Um, or immediate gratification in a society where it's, you know, I want to see results quick. I I need these results immediately. But when you touch a child's life, it's not going to be immediate. It's going to be long-term and it's not just going to impact them. It's impacting their entire community. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Sorry. I talked a lot.
0: No, you're good. You're good. It's a (laughs) podcast. It's perfect. It's perfect. I I, (laughs) I want you to talk a lot. Yes, it's perfect. Um, But also what you just said to add to that, the literacy component, I mean, You've seen the data out there before. Prisons, you know, the private investors in the prison systems, they're looking at those third-grade reading scores.
1: Third Are
0: those kids literate? Oh, yeah. they're not. Let's build, build some, some more, more prisons. prisons. Exactly. Yep. So, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is education, from your perspective, is it about the actual learning or is it a business? And I know that's very general
1: yeah yeah um it's a business uh that it's it's a business because think about how much money they spend on hr on media now um you know to get these images out about a school or a parish or school district Uh, so i definitely think it's a business but i I don't know sometimes i'm hesitant to say that that's always a horrible thing. And the reason I say that um, is because when you operate as a business, and now I don't, I personally don't believe in charter schools. I'm not a fan. And I know that a lot of them are in like businesses. I, I get that some people are fans, but I've not seen it work in Louisiana. So my personal Ten-
0: experience- Tennessee either.
1: Oh, yeah. So my yeah. personal experience is very jaded. I'm like, mm-hmm. Tennessee.
0: There. Um, <laughs> there's a few. There's a few. There are a few. Yeah, There's
1: always there's always outliers, right, of course. Right, right. Um, but I think that when you kind of have a business mindset, you do have to get rid of some people that do not belong in a classroom. Like right. you can't. It's not going to always be about roses and sunshine. Sometimes you got to have a tough conversation. Like, look, you are not growing our kids. You got to go, especially when you teach at a school like mine, where our kids are already given so many deficits in life, like right. they're growing up in poverty, they're black children in the United States, they've experienced so much trauma. A lot of their parents have been in jail for for usually something they shouldn't be in jail for in the first place. But, and drug use and the mental health is a really big problem where I teach at as well. And so I think about that and not having an effective teacher, like I've seen teachers be able to stay in classrooms just cause, I, nah. Yeah. Our our kids can't afford that.
0: So, yeah, because they they have tenure or something like that. It's yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like you know, that's not fair. Yeah.
1: In a business, if you are not producing results, You've and I don't go. It within a year, like right. you know, because sometimes people need to grow. Your first year that you're just trying to live, okay. Right. Right. But like when you're consistently falling behind and not being able to produce results,
0: you gotta, you gotta, go. gotta go. Here's what I've seen in my experience.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. I would be at my let me see. one two. This is my third school, but I've been at the okay. school going on five years now. Okay, Here's what I've seen in my experience, and I know a lot of teachers, too. Um, those teachers who probably need to get out of the classroom don't necessarily get out of education. Not what I've seen. They are now, they've got an office. They're either at the board or they're an admin. or And you can kind of tell because all of a sudden they start working on their admin license, or maybe they've been working on it all along. And they're looking to put that thing to use because they know it's just a matter of time before they've got to get yanked from the classroom. And they don't leave education. They they go into a more, you know, perception-based, valued position over teachers. And think about it. If you have new teachers or you have teachers with just very... Like you have teachers who have potential to be from good to great or Mm -hmm. from mediocre to good, and they just need that slight you know, uh, coaching or Mm -hmm. adjustment or different perspective. They need an effective, formerly effective teacher to be able to help mold them and coach them to that next level. How can you do that when your admin was a terrible teacher themselves? Like, how does that? It's a cycle. It's a cycle,
1: right? Shake the table because I've seen it. I've I've seen (laughs) it. And, And sometimes, like, that actually makes me kind of reflect and when all the teachers on your staff are not doing something, that's on administration. When, that means that you are not providing coaching opportunities for them. That means you're not providing any sort of professional growth or development. Like, at some point, you're going to have to look, take a look at yourself and take a look at how the district is handling teachers that are underperforming. So de- definitely. And I've seen it firsthand, people that should not be principals. And or or people that were principals, they were horrible principals and somehow now they're on a district position. I'm like Yeah,
0: how does that because hurt? yeah, well, how that usually works, at least what I've seen in Tennessee, yeah. is that they probably were um told like, "Hey, you suck <laughs> as a principal." <laughs> um for lack of a better terms. And so you got to go back to the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't go back to the classroom cuz that's the ultimate like insult to it your is. professionalism you're like no you're supposed to move up in life okay. in your career and whatnot because that check is about to those direct deposit to look the same right okay so nah, they don't. <laughs> so what they do is you know usually they this is one thing i know about bad principles mm-hmm. they're good at networking
1: oh yes
0: they're great at networking
1: and talking and pretending that they know what they're talking about
0: oh they can talk to talk Oh yes! Oh, they can talk it well. You go in their office; they got a billion books. You oh, can talk the talk.
1: The, all the studies, all yes. of
0: them, and you believe oh, they yes. read them all because they can give <laughs> no, you they can give you a sound bite from each one, right? An excerpt from yes. each one. But no, because that's... they network so well, instead of going back to the classroom, they move net. They just move to the board.
1: That's correct. That's crazy. It, it's I mean, what I've we seen. call.
0: It's what we call, and I guess this is a Chicago term. That's called <laughs> finessing. They finesse oh, the yes, system.
1: Finesse. Oh yes. yeah, Because it's
0: a system, right? Yes. They learn how to finesse the system. And they skating.
1: I mean, in they Greek. Girl, they skate. They skating through. Okay. They didn't earn those stripes at all. They don't deserve that position. But somebody let them through.
0: Mm. Yep. And to the detriment of, you know, the parishes, the school districts, the the actual good admin who actually care about what they're doing and want to support their teachers. I mean, like you said, it's a trickle down effect coming from the top, you know, and it's like. What what can we do? Like, what can we do? So um, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. You seem to be a person that moves off of. Like you said, you feel like this is a calling for you. You, Yes. Would you say you're. Uh, purpose-driven or or driven by passion? Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, probably both, but passion is probably the biggest thing. Okay. I I'll be honest with you. If you were to ask anybody that knows me and describe me in one word, they would definitely say passionate. Okay. Um, like I don't know, my my, when I'm involved in something, I'm like absorbed completely, and it's kind of sick because like my students. Like I, I, think about them 24/7. Like my first year of teaching, I had to go on anxiety medication because I would be sitting in bed like, I wonder what this kid did, or I wonder how, what, I wonder, you know, what he's eating today. I wonder if he's taken care of. And during the summertime, it's like the most traumatic time for me because I'm like c- constantly worried about my kids, and I'm like, okay, did they eat today? Um, because a lot of them, you know, that's their only meal is from school, or you know, who's home to take care of them? Because I know their parents work three jobs, so I would definitely say like I'm just passionate specifically about my kids. And that makes me more passionate about education. Like they have instilled this passion in me.
0: Yeah. And not only that, because you're so passionate about the kids and the classroom and the art and science of, of of teaching and learning that makes you effective. That's why you're great at what you do, because you can't like, if you're going to be a, like we said, good to great. If you're going to become a great teacher, like you have to constantly think about these kids because yes. if you just okay, I punch you and and I mean this could be a different episode, but I'm sure you've seen <laughs> teachers who are just collecting a check,
1: oh yes,
0: I felt like I probably talked about this on every episode thus far every, at one point, yes. like
1: every day there's teachers who are teachers just are, collecting a check i oh honey i i we <laughs> we had to get rid of about seventy percent of our staff yeah when i when I came to my school um how many people they had a 15% retention rate Mm. that was purposeful though. Right. My administrate, my principal at the time got rid of them. If you were not about it and like at my school, it's just not a type of school where you can just coast through. It's not like my my principal requires a lot from us, as she should. We do home visits. I ride the bus home with my kids. Like I I go to football games. I go to track practice. Like that's just what we do. You have to be invested in them because our kids, they've seen so much. If they don't trust you. (laughs) your class, what's a classroom? That's, that's not happening. So they have to see you. They have to, you have to be visible for them. Um, so I, I don't understand how teachers can operate like that, but I've seen plenty of them and I, too. They are affecting children's lives. Like i have disgu- I don't know a more disgusting thing to do than to half but do something when it comes to children.
0: And if you think about, if you're an educator, if you go into education, and maybe they were motivated at one point, right? Right. You had to have been motivated at one point. One point. And maybe the the, the fire, the flame burnt out. Maybe it never rekindled. Maybe they lost their passion. And so now they're just going through the motion until retirement. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand how you can do something that essentially is very, um, what's the word I'm thinking of servitude, right? Oh, like yes. you're, you're serving others. I don't understand how you do that, but you, it, your heart's not in it. Like it confuses me. And even if we're talking again, financially, you can yeah. go coast somewhere else for a, a fortune 500 company and make, make, more make more than what we make. So it's like, why would you, why, why would you do that? Well,
1: I've been trying to get into like the minds of teachers that do that just in my like PhD um, courses, like how do we evaluate, you know, great teachers and why do certain teachers stay in the classroom? And like you said, I do believe that some of them have good intentions, but I'll be honest with you. This is a stretch, but I believe some teachers intentionally want to harm kids. There's no... Mm. I, I At some point, you just got to say the truth when you are consistently underserving students. And I don't mean underserving them and not realizing it, because I do know teachers that are busting their butt. Like I do. I do know teachers that are busting their butt. And they're honestly just not good. at. This. They're just not good. Like, I don't know another way to put but it.
0: They're, but they're trying.
1: But they try. They're trying. Right. Okay. I, there are teachers, you know, that stay there until nine o'clock at night and they're still not the best. But you know that they love the kids and they're busting their butt. But there are also people that intentionally know that they're screwing over kids and they're in the classroom. And I don't know if it is a hate, I don't know what the hatred is coming from, but there's no other way, no other conclusion I can draw than like, you must hate them. Like if you are underserving kids on purpose, you must not like them. And I don't know if it's because you want a child to feel the way that you felt in school,
0: Mm. because I
1: do think that that is possible. I do think that it's like these people broke me down, so I'm going to do the same thing to this child. Or I don't like this certain community, so I'm going to make sure they're continued to be marginalized. There's no other conclusion I can draw at this point, because you know that you trash, and you don't want (laughs) to change it. I know, like you know, you trash, and you still like I don't care.
0: (laughs) You know you're trash, and you're still
1: do. Like you get ones in your observations, and parents coming up to the school trying to fight you, sis, you trash. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Look, I teach.
0: If you're getting ones in your observation, you need to just go.
1: <laughs> Look, I teach in the hood, so you you come a my kid crazy.
0: Oh yeah, my parents, my
1: students' parents be up there in a heartbeat. So if somebody trying to fight you every week, you might want to reevaluate yourself.
0: Reevaluate your career. Maybe gotcha. we should, maybe we should go in admin.
1: <laughs> Do something, please. <laughs> Go Got a leadership, please.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> no, hilarious. I'm
1: there.
0: So let me ask you this: With your doctorate degree, um, and I know you're passionate about the classroom now, have you thought about doing um, collegiate, uh, being a, becoming a professor? Yes. Okay. Uh,
1: would
0: yes. you try to? Would you try to do both? Or No, oh,
1: I okay. don't think I could. I don't I don't know how that would even be possible because a lot of these schools are so research based that I would have to
0: yeah.
1: be away a long a, a, wa- blah, 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 a lot. Um like my chair is in London and ch in Chile and Brazil and Mexico doing studies and that's like my passion. I would love to do that as well. Right. Um so I don't think I would do both. I hate to say this because I kind of feel like a hypocrite. But I would love to create like a mentorship program for black educators, specifically black males, Mm -hmm. um, to recruit and retain black males. The only reason I say I feel like a hypocrite is because I feel like I would have to leave the classroom to create that within a a collegiate setting. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to leave the classroom. And I do think the biggest impact is in the classroom. But I also know for a fact that like we need more. Black educators to stay in the classroom and to be effective, not just stay because it's a black body, but to stay right. because like they're the best at their craft. Because in my right. opinion, like at my school, the last like I was teacher of the year this year and all the teachers of the year in the past years have been black women. Like I know that when you see a child that looks like you, it, there's just something. In your heart, that's like I have to. I have to do more for them. Like when, when I see a child that, like that little girl has braids in her hair too, and she, that could be my kid. I'm going to bust my butt because I would want somebody to do that for my child. And so I would like to do that on a collegiate level and supporting Black educators and like creating courses that support Black education and like what does it mean to be culturally responsive. Um, but I do feel like I would have to leave the classroom for that, which is like heartbreaking. It's actually something I'm struggling with right now.
0: Now. Are we saying never for admin for you? Do you think that you'll ever develop that passion no. or calling or?
1: I never say never. Okay. Because I like to take opportunities. Um, I like challenges. Right. And so I would never say never, Okay. but unless it was like an Afrocentric school district, to be honest with you, I don't think I'd want to be in administration. I don't want to work with those people. I don't like adults. Like they suck. That's adults usually are-
0: the problem. That's usually they the problem. Are, like, yeah. I don't
1: like working with a bunch of people that are know it alls in, in like district levels because that's what they are. Basically. They go off of research, and my research is great. I read 24 7. But I'm going to go by experience. I think that qualitative analysis is so much more impactful in education because kids are not numbers. Right. So like I don't want to be sitting around the table with people being like, well, the studies show that 25% of black children need this. And I'm like, but I actually teach black children and they, they don't need that. Right. So I'm not going to do that. Or <laughs> right. like, I was a black child. I, I know what, you know, I've experienced being a black child in education. So you might want to listen. Right. So I don't think so. But I never say never. I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> so let me ask you this. And I probably asked you this before. Oh, um, As a black scholar a black educator what do you think we can do um or needs to be done to improve the profession for black educators you kind of said a little bit already yeah but
1: program i like that is so I'm I'm doing a study right now in one of my courses on retainment of black male educators. Okay. And one of the biggest things, like I, I did surveys and interviews, and one of the biggest things that a lot of black males were telling me is that they felt so isolated. They were the mm. only black male in the school. Right? And like that's exhausting. There's two like, of us.
0: There's two of us, yeah, including like, myself. Yeah.
1: We have one black male at our school and he's one of my best friends. Yeah. And but he is very candid about like Like, yeah, Chelsea, I love you and all, but you don't understand what it means to be a black male. And that's that's true. Like to really be the only man. And then on top of that, the only black male, it's exhausting because people expect you to be some sort of like a disciplinarian instead of a teacher. They want you to be a behavior coach instead of a teacher. They want you to take all the quote unquote bad kids. I don't like that term, but, you know, the the kids that nobody else wants because black male, you should be strong. Um, like break up
0: all the fights?
1: Yeah, you you it should be <laughs> you. Like what's your mean? I'm not trying to break up a fight either. Um, but I think that a mentorship program that I feel like that's the start of it. So, how do I support black men um in a wanting to go into education? So, what does that mean? How, what sort of practices do I need to do? How how do I get study materials? What resources do I need? Who should I network with to get a job? like those things need to be put in place because I believe standardized testing was not made for us in the first place. I I I have I think it's very tied to eugenics, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, it is. But like how do we support <laughs> our black educators in being able to pass these tests <laughs> because right. that's right. a big part of it. I've seen a lot of black educators that are amazing but can't pass the praxis to save their life for some reason or another. A lot of it has to do with they were part of a, a failed school system yep. so they don't know how to test take.
0: Test anxiety, uh-huh. yep.
1: Yeah, like I I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that also I would love to have we have a DEI, like diversity, equity and inclusion in Teach for America. And now Teach for America has its own host of other issues. But I think that's a really great place. So a DEI space is a place where minorities can get together um and collectively discuss their experiences and problem solve together and so i think that's really critical because i don't think our experiences are told when you look at like these movies in hollywood it's always a white teacher coming in to say black children and black educators that's first of all nah that's not happening because these kids don't need to be saved Two, a white woman sure as heck ain't saving them because <laughs> our kids are coming in like, who are you? What right. do you mean? Right. Um, but I think these DEI spaces will give us more of an opportunity to to vent because sometimes I just need to vent. Sometimes I need to be like, these white women don't understand what I'm saying. Like we, we had a situation where a white teacher had said something about one of my girls hair. And it was like, you could just put it in a ponytail and, And it triggered me so bad because I remember that experience as a black girl of my white teacher telling me that and telling me I'm out of uniform because of the braids in my hair. And I like made a big deal out of it. And the other white teachers were like, I don't like, I don't understand why you're like, why does that matter? Like she was out of dress code. And I was just so frustrated because I'm like, you are not hearing me. Like I, I need someone to actually hear me when I say, like, I'm triggered by this because I've experienced this before. I need someone to rally around me and be like, yeah, I get it. Like, I feel you. I've been there. How can I support you? Do you need emotional support right now? Do you need a hug? Like, (laughs) what do you need? So I think that we have to create communities, even within our own schools, and then mentorship programs that one, recruit Black people, so I go into HBCUs because I can tell you for a fact I worked for Teach for America when I was a senior in college as a campus coordinator, mm-hmm. and uh, we did not go to HBCUs to recruit. It, it wasn't a thing. Even even my parish when we do. Um, like the recruitment fairs and things like that. We don't reach out to Southern University, which is like the staple of the black community in Baton Rouge. Like it is everything in Baton Rouge um, on North on the north side. Uh, and we don't reach out to Xavier, even though we reach out to Tulane, which is up the street, and LSU, which is up the street from Southern. And mm. so we have to create those programs that go and have outreach and recruit these black teachers. Another thing, um, is that we have to advocate for black educators by advocating for HBCUs. Southern University got its education department funding slashed by over seventy-five percent. Why? Because our bless, bless Bobby Jindal, the former governor, um Made a big cut to federal spending, and most of that spending went towards HBCUs and funding them. And so because we don't have a huge football program like LSU does to supplement those costs, um, they they had to cut the programs that were not bringing in as much money, and unfortunately education's not. They had to put more money into engineering because that's what brought back money to the school. And so... If we want to see more black educators, we have to advocate for to keep these programs in HBCUs and I think also to advocate for HBCU funding.
0: Right. I just said
1: so much. but
0: <laughs> No, and it all made sense because that's not an easy resolution, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's very complex, much like everything dealing with this American being dealing with American being black. Anyways, yes, right. yes. Lil' boy gonna come to my classroom, he tell all his girl, break it up, break it down, back it up, break it up, break it up. What?
1: It take him all class to finish a 10-question quiz. Y'all testin' too long. Wrap it up. Pencils down. Pack it up. Wrap it up, wrap it up. They gonna add a new student in my classroom and told me I got to gather information about the student. You put them in my class! You know what I can gather about this situation? This could possibly be my
0: last year teaching. And I ain't been in no committees this year. All kind of committees. Parent committee, teacher committee, birthday committee, food committee, social committee, love committee, lesson plan committee. I'm already committed to too much to be committed to a committee. Talking about they want me to focus on proficiency. It's a big deficiency in our proficiency.
1: I'm just trying to get my kids to perform more proficiently. I had to invest in one of these. This is one of the reasons why my year has went a little bit better.
0: Nobody knows what teachers go through.
1: So Jonathan just like gives so many stories of, one of people that have made it out of poverty, but also what the effect of poverty has done on people. So like one of the characters, Christopher, um, was homeless when he was a child and saw a lot of drug abuse and he ended up dying of heroin overdose but his brain was examined and it was examined like his prefrontal cortex was not developed even though he was well into his 30s but which i just thought was baffling so jonathan close off a fire in the ashes Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you see me grabbing the it's pin amazing. and it's
1: amazing you're yeah. gonna cry though it's it's like so emotional. a fire
0: in the ashes
1: fire in the ashes okay i'm
0: headed to i'm headed to barnes and noble as soon as we watch um
1: the other one is helping children succeed it also speaks on aces um it's by paul tuff and he speaks a lot about um like adversity and what really works in a school system and he gives a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence and then there's one other book that i'm reading that i would really suggest i'm trying lord i'm
0: now, are you reading these for leisure, or is this a part of the doctorate program?
1: Both. Uh, so okay. Jonathan Kozal is for leisure. And then, um, but he—he he's actually a book that we're going to be reading in my class, but I just picked it up beforehand. So he's a book that we are going to read in one of my courses later on in the future. Um, okay. And then Paul Tuff is for class. Okay. So helping children succeed. My poverty and education class is like, mind-blowing so she gives the most amazing books to read and like sources
0: to look at so yeah email me that syllabus let me see that
1: yes yes I will. <laughs> uh, there's a there was a whole the very first reading we did was actually about a uh, lead poisoning in new orleans projects okay and uh oh my gosh i, I didn't realize how much like i knew what lead poisoning could do But the systematic way that New Orleans kept these people in the projects on purpose with lead poisoning and how that affected a child's brain development and how there was a correlation between dangerous crimes and lead poisoning. So like those kids that grew up in lead poisoning and lead poison projects were much more likely to um, commit a violent crime. But it wasn't as a result necessarily of just sociological uh, problems, but also brain Right. Like your brain was messed up from the lead right. poison.
0: there was a chemical imbalance there yeah which yeah mm.
1: so it's, it's just crazy and they only got like sixteen thousand dollars from the government and it's wow. like you you mess up their entire ability to get an education to get right. a job right. to know how to interact with people and you give them sixteen thousand dollars what's that gonna do
0: uh help them buy a toyota corolla
1: yep that's about it that's Barely. about it
0: <laughs> that's about got a payment it. plan too right Wow! Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get. Yeah, yeah I'm so running I'm, in a Barnes and Noble. There? Where is this book? Where is this book? Yeah, You're,
1: please. But you, you will cry. Your viewers will cry. I yeah. was on the beach, not prepared. I didn't know that it would be so traumatic to read the experiences of some of these these children. Mm-hmm. And I was literally on the beach, like, <gasps> like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But it, it is necessary, though. Yeah. It's yeah. depressing, but, yeah. but it is necessary.
0: Yeah. The information is powerful. Yeah. Yes. I, I need it. Um, yeah. Dope. Um, is there a quote that you live by or kind of keep in your yeah. head or a positive affirmation that you remind yourself of that you like to share? We
1: have nothing to lose but our chains by Asada Shakur. We have nothing to lose but our chains. I, I keep that in the back of my mind constantly especially like when I'm getting nervous because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I, sometimes I say things in my classroom that I know could get me in trouble.
0: Me too, and, me too. You
1: know, but it's the <laughs> truth and we're going to have conversations about it. Yep. And if I end up getting in trouble, that's okay because I know that this is the best for my kids. And so I just always keep that mindset. Like I have nothing to lose but the chains that this country continuously tries to put on me and tries to put on our kids. And so if that means I get in trouble for trying to break those chains and that so be it
0: i'm anti-status quo i've always been that way
1: always
0: i've always been that way so Good.
1: thankfully you know i i thankfully i've i've been a very effective teacher or i'm sure i would have you know would maybe <laughs> hey. got let
0: go <laughs> right as long as you can do your job then i mean that gives you some you know autonomy and some freedom like this i'm the instructional leader of this classroom i feel like this is a truth that i need to convey to my kids and I want them to at least have the option of, you know, developing their own perception on yes. how the world works. Like, yes. yeah, I have very candid comments. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes our conversations I have in my class not only can get me in trouble, but I, I, we get totally, we just, we're having a real conversation. Like, it's we not. Get sidetracked. Yeah, we get sidetracked.
1: But I still believe those are critical skills that we are engaging Agreed. in.
0: Agreed. It's, it's just
1: because it's not a standard right. or it's not a writable objective. Does right. not mean that our kids are not constantly learning. Yeah, like always learning by having debates because we have debates in my classroom all I the. Love them. I love them, and they're in fifth grade yeah and so like they I remember one of my one of my boys was like miss Griffin the reason why I was able um, to do so well on that writing was because you told me to look at two different perspectives when I was debating whether or not college students should get paid like they constantly are like yeah I can use that skill well maybe I don't agree but I need to look at the other side as well so I'm here for anti status quo sir
0: I am as well. <laughs> Love it. So, dope recommendation, dope yes. quote, dope interview. Any oh. last any last words you want to leave other black educators, black scholars out there listening?
1: Um, don't get discouraged. Mm. Uh, especially if you are the only one. You are important, you matter in this work and you know why you're there it's not for other people it's not for the adults it's for the kids and one other thing is always remember that kids are kids that's really hard to do sometimes like sometimes when they're popping off at the mouth and you're like hold on what You said what, (laughs) you know, uh, but especially our black children, Mm -hmm. like we have to hold them dear and remind them that they are kids and that they're going to make mistakes. They're going to say things that are mean. They're going to say some things that are foul sometimes. But as the adult, we have to be that role model, and example for them, how to emotionally handle situations. We, you know, uh, embarrassing a child is not the route to go, no matter how upset you are. And especially a black child, because that could mean like they no longer believe in the education system mm-hmm. or the, or teachers in general. So just keep that in mind. Kids are kids and you are important. And the job that we do is the most important. I don't care what anybody says. Forget a principal, assist principal. Teachers' jobs are the most important <laughs> job. In a
0: school. Agreed. 100% <laughs> agreed. Dope. Well, this was awesome. That was it. Yes.
1: Thank you so much. See, I told
0: you you didn't need the script.
1: That was easy, but I feel like I just talked so much more.
0: Yeah,
1: that's good.
0: Yeah, they don't need to hear from me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. They'll hear enough from me later. They don't need. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars podcast. For more information, Sometimes, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta Go! You will never know what you could ever be. If you never tried, you will never see. State in Africa, we ain't never leave. So one no slave in a history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep and I had a dream.